supposed to feel but then you changed my mind and made it real looking back on all that we've been through i wouldn't change a single day with you it's not always easy but look how far we've come i'm never leaving on the day that I met you, you knew that I knew. When I said that I choose you, you know I still do. I love it how we dance to the fire. I love it how we sing in the rain. As long as I'm breathing, I'll be us through the seasons. Your love is like the spring, it brings me life. Your heart is like the wall of a summer night 
Good morning, everyone. Bring that down a little bit. Thank you. Well, it's so good. Uh, if you can just bring that down a little bit for me, Frank. Thanks. So good to be here uh, together. Is it just? Does it kind of feel like we were just here last week, right? You know, sometimes, well, time goes by so quickly, and um, the old saying is that time flies when you're having fun. So hopefully, you had fun this past week, but. You know, uh, praise the Lord that he knows each of us and he knows us intimately and so well that we can all come to this place to do one thing together, and that is to worship the Lord, but that we can do that having had all different kinds of weeks behind us. But we thank God for a new day, for a new life, for new breath, and we want to use our breath to bring worship to him this morning. Amen. Speaking of breath, we'll be reminded this morning in my reading now is our call to worship, and then our reading is uh, in Second uh, Peter, in our continued study of Second Peter, about the Word of God and how He spoke things into being. And so we take seriously the reading and the hearing of the Word of our Lord, because not only do we have it in written form here, His revelation to us, His heart but we also know that he spoke the world into motion and he spoke the heavens and the earths into being. And um, boy, we can't truly fathom that, but we, th we uh, are grateful that we serve a God who is the creator of all things, amen? So a reading from the word of the Lord as our call to worship. I will have a reading from the Old Testament and a reading from the New Testament. So let these words... Um, be a way for you to uh, begin to engage with and interact with your God as we just kind of calm our hearts and minds and um, bring our focus and attention on uh, the worship of him. So some selected readings from Psalm 90 and 91. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. 
For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. From Psalm 91, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And a reading from the New Testament is our continued call into worship this morning from the letter of Ephesians by the Apostle Paul, chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Would you stand with me, please? Let us pray together as we enter into a time of worship. Father, how grateful we are for you and for your word. Your very breath spoke this world into existence. Your very word created the waters that bring life and also bring judgment. God, your very word, your very word has brought us new life. Father, we have gathered here this morning to celebrate you and your word, to celebrate the word, the living word, Jesus Christ himself, for it is only in him and through him that we have life and that we have breath in our lungs. So we say thank you. And now, God, we want to use the, those words. We want to use our breath to turn every praise back to you, every one of your words. We turn it back to worship of you. So, Father God, have your way with us, but we have gathered to give and to offer ourselves up to you now in worship. And may we do it as the kind of worshipers that you seek, who would worship you in spirit and in truth. This time is for you now, Lord God. Would you be blessed in Jesus' name, amen. So church, let's worship the Lord together in song.
Praise the Lord. It's good to praise him together, right? How sweet it is. Just take a moment to say good morning to somebody right next to you. Let's make our way back to our seats. It's so good. Praise the Lord for great worship. I have to say, you know, I think that's one of my uh, my favorite parts of our morning together because I get to stand here and just watch you fellowship and say good morning with joy in your hearts and smiles on your faces, and it's really encouraging to me. And so what a great reminder of how important community is, and uh, we need each other, church. We need each other to continue uh, learning and growing and serving, right? We just, we can't do that alone, and uh, we are not meant to. We are wired to be able to be in fellowship with God and with each other, and uh, there's something just awesome that happens when we gather together in a group like this because we uh, encourage each other, we remind each other um, how good God is, and we share stories and testimonies about what he's doing in our lives, and it's just good, right, to be... Um, it's good to be loved and to be welcomed and encouraged. And so hopefully that's all happened for you this morning. And praise God for great worship, you know, and just being able to, to, to sing uh, words of truth and uh, being reminded of who we are in Christ and, of course, who God is. And so I pray that those words that we were singing uh, will just carry you through our, our time together this morning as we continue and worshiping God as we open his word together. Just a reminder that we have our Wednesday evening services. These are available uh, to you. Of course, we gather uh, down the road at the Allenwood Church uh, every Wednesday night from 6.30 to 7.30. And then after that, right after that, for anybody that can stay, is our prayer gathering, which have just been awesome. It's just been some really spirit-filled time of dynamic prayer. It's been great. And uh, so we, we uh, myself and Pastor Dave and Pastor Mike, the three of us, um, we share our challenge for the week and how it, it worked out 
in, in our lives, we take that challenge and we share our testimony about what that was like. And then we, um, we challenge the rest of you to uh, take that challenge from the Word of God. And so um, if you're not able to make it or have missed a few, you can go onto our website and just click on the podcast. It'll bring you there. We're actually in the process of streamlining that so it's even easier so that you'll be able to sign up soon for um, reminders. You get a text uh, reminder with a link so you can see what the, the devotional was and what the challenge is. So make it even easier for all of us to do that together. And so it's been quite uh, powerful. And so I just want to encourage you to remember that happens on Wednesday evenings. And it's really beautiful to see people from all three churches get together. Isn't it for those that go to, to worship God together, learn together, and uh, take the challenge together, and of course, to pray together. A great way to end our evening. And then another reminder, next Saturday, so a week away next Saturday, is our conference. We've been promoting this for a while. Now many of you have signed up. We have almost 50 people signed up, which is great. And um, hopefully we have more to come. But this is just a one-day uh, conference, 9 to 3.30. Uh, breakfast and lunch are <clears throat> provided. Excuse me, it's free. We just ask that you register so we have an idea of how many people are coming. Yeah, doors open at 8.15 for breakfast. Uh, if you'd like to come and get some breakfast, some extra fellowship and coffee, and then <clears throat> our first session begins at 9 a.m., and we go till 3.30. We have a couple of guest speakers coming in, and uh, they, will, uh, they will share all about this topic of the assurance of our faith. So we titled it, Can I Know For Sure If I Am Saved? And this is a uh, vital topic for every believer but it's also a great opportunity to invite some friends that are still searching and searching for Jesus and searching for, uh, for truth and for meaning and exploring faith, you know, to come and learn what the Bible says, all that the Bible has to say about knowing for sure that we can know for sure that we are saved and not having to live in doubt, but to live in the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. Amen. So it's uh, be a really important time in the life of Trinity. So I encourage you, if you can make it, to come on out. That is next um, Saturday. And um, I just wanted to continue to make sure you're aware of that and pass along the information. Invite as many people as you can. Even if for some reason you can't make it, pass along the info. Just send them right to our website. There's a link right at the top of the homepage. Uh, so it's easy to find all of the details, the speakers' bios, and so we know who you'll know who will be here, and so you can just point people right to the website. Okay, and uh, we continue in our study of First uh, and Second Peter, and so of course we're in Second Peter, and we are beginning chapter three, and so actually uh, we will be uh, finishing up First um, uh, Peter next week, and then uh, we're going to have a couple of weeks of. Um, um, special messages and guest speaker coming in after that and then we'll begin a new book soon and so you'll hear more about that in the coming weeks but next week we should be finishing up uh, our study of second peter and hopefully that you have uh, seen if nothing else that peter uh, being a spokesperson for god of course is making it very clear how important it is to learn and to grow in the faith so that we are not found vulnerable to false teachers, because that is why Peter is writing this second letter. And in our reading today, which is chapter 3, 2 Peter verses 1 through 10, you'll say that he kind of reiterates his whole purpose of why he's writing 
you know, in case people have forgotten as they're reading the letter, he circles back and says, remember, this is why I'm writing this. And it's all about encouraging us to grow in the faith so that we are found strong and resilient in the truth in the face of false teachings and the, um, the heresies that come with false teachers. And so I'd like to read that for you now, and then we'll just briefly unpack a few things that I want to highlight to make sure that, um, that we don't miss from these first uh, 10 verses of chapter 3, okay? And then, uh, Lord willing, we will be able to uh, finish up this letter um, next week. And uh, the whole book ends with what our theme verse is for the whole year, so it'll be a perfect way to kind of to wrap up this series, all right? And so... This is chapter 3 of 2 Peter, verses 1 through 10. Here's what it says. It says, This is now, beloved, the second letter that I am writing to you, in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder, that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice, Peter says, that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded by water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. That's our reading for today. So there's a lot packed in there, but there's some things that we want to make sure that we highlight that kind of bring it all together, okay? And so um, uh, I've I kind of highlighted and bolded some words that I want to make sure that we don't miss, all right? Um, and we'll just kind of briefly unpack these together. So first I want to point this out. You know, it is important as you study the Word of God to remember that um, our Bibles were not written in English, right? They were written in three languages, Hebrew, the Old Testament, the New Testament, Greek, and some Aramaic, some ancient languages. 
but nonetheless, they were written in those original languages. And so um, when we study the Word of God, it's important to remember that because there's not always an easy way to translate words. There's not always a word-for-word translation from one language to the next. And for those of you who speak multiple languages, you know what I'm talking about, that there's not always one word to go with it. Some languages have multiple words, and in English we have one, right? And so it's hard. But in our study, it's good to do word studies, especially if there's words that kind of stand out to you to, to do some research, any good commentary or, uh, uh, you know, uh, concordance or word search help will help you to do that. And I want to point out this, this first word here, which I think will set the stage and give us a clear idea of what Peter is saying here. If you notice, I've highlighted those words, sincere mind. So the word sincere, it's a pretty common word. We use that often, right? I think we have an idea, a general idea of what that means. We desire to be sincere towards others, and we want people to be sincere with us, the way that they talk to us and act with us. And basically, what does it mean to be sincere? It means to be authentic, right? To be real, to, to be truthful, you know, without fault or without um, lies, and so we have an idea of what this means. But here's something interesting, church, I, 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 um, I learned in my studies this week, is that this word sincere developed from a Latin word, sine and sera, so S-I-N-E, and then a separate word, C-E-R-A, sine sera, which means simply without wax. Okay, and you're just like, okay, why would Pastor Keith tell us that, without wax? Okay, now here's why. Because, see, in, in ancient times, during the times of the Romans, who, of course, were occupying Israel at the time of Jesus, and they were for many decades before Jesus and for after, but during Jesus' day, during the times of uh, the Roman occupation of Israel and the great Roman Empire, which we're all familiar with, we know that pottery was a big part of their life, and there were artisans who would craft pottery, potters, of course. And, you know, if they were to craft, a, let's say, a, a clay jar that would be useful in many different, um, you know, aspects of everyday life, if the potter found there to be an imperfection, perhaps a crack, then what they should do is they should throw it away, use it for something else, and not sell that because there's an imperfection. But what would happen was, of course, there's always deceit in the human heart. Many, um, evidently many artisans, if they found that there were cracks or imperfections, instead of having to throw that away to save money, they would take wax and they would cover up the imperfections so that they could not be noticed. So someone would go, normally a woman would go to the market and buy a clay jar to use to make, uh, to make her, her tea or make her drink, put wine in, put water in, whatever it was, and bring it home. And evidently what would happen was, especially putting hot water in it, what would happen to the wax? It would melt, right? And it would show the imperfection. Usually the thing would break. So the way that you could tell if you were a wise shopper, and I think we still do this today, right, to some degree. We read labels, we inspect things that we buy, want to make sure that we're, we're getting what we pay for, right? And that it is sincere without, perfection, without imperfection. So you would, supposedly, you would take this clay jar, and if you're wise enough, you would hold it up to the sun, to the light, so that the light would shine through wherever there would be wax, so that you would recognize, hey, this is imperfect. 
And so the Latin word there for sincere comes from without wax, meaning that it is authentic and pure. It is a jar made without wax, which means there's no cracks or imperfections, right? But the Greek word that is used, of course, this New Testament is not written in Latin, translated after in Latin, but written in Greek. But the actual Greek word there for sincere means son judged, which means simply revealed by the light of the sun, meaning that whatever the truth is, is revealed by the one and only Son, by God himself, and that our hearts and our lives are always going to be checked by and tested by the true Son of God. And see, so there's great application here. And so what is Peter saying when he says, he says, beloved, right? Because he cares about the people that he's writing this to. He says, I'm writing this second letter to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. So let's catch this first. He is encouraging them, church. I mean, he just got done the la- in chapter two talking all about the false teachers, right? And their judgment and the things that they were teaching. Now he's trying to, as he brings this letter to a close, he wants to bring back in a positive light, a word of encouragement. And he's, t- he's saying to them, church, he's saying, you already have a sincere mind. I just want to remind you of the things you already know, the truth. I want you to stand firm in the truth, realizing that your minds are sincere already. What you have believed, and he goes on to say, what the, the prophets have taught you, what the apostles have taught you, what I am teaching you is the truth. So stand firm on that, see? He's encouraging them, saying, you have sincere minds, but I just want to remind you of it. Because what happens when we start to doubt? What happens when we start to question, well, is this really true? And in light of this passage, is Jesus really going to come back? Is there really hope? I mean, it's been over 2,000 years, and where is Jesus? I mean, for goodness sake, the apostles and the early church thought Jesus was coming back in their lifetime and every generation since. And it's been more than 2,000 years, and yet where is Jesus? And this is what Peter says, the false teachers will make us doubt, and they will make us question. And Peter is saying, wait, your minds are sincere. There's no flaw in the truth that you have been taught. Jesus will come back. See, that's what he's starting to say. And then he builds his case, right? So anyway, that's how he starts this. So as a way of just understanding what it is he's talking about, he, of course, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, chooses his words wisely. So he chooses this word sincere, that they would truly understand and say, your mind, it's without wax. There's no need to fill in some gaps and hide something. You know the truth, and your minds are sincere. But he says, I'm trying to stir it up in you, right? So you're not complacent and then falling into doubt. He says, by way of reminder, and look what he says in verse 2, that you should remember. Is he trying to make a point? I mean, don't we do that? When we try to make a point, we keep repeating words over and over. I get accused of that all the time. You just keep saying the same thing over and over, right? You try to just do it with, you just keep saying the same thing over and over, right? 
And then you get accused of saying the same thing over and over. No, I'm just joking. But it's what he's doing. He's saying, you should remember. He says, I'm trying to remind you so that you should remember. But here's the question. Remember what, Peter? The words. Okay, this is the point of this passage. Remember the words spoken beforehand. By whom? By the holy prophets, which means the Old Testament. Okay? By the prophets, the ones who spoke from uh, of God. And we're God's mouthpiece. So, the words beforehand, remember what the Old Testament says about the Messiah and the commandments of the Lord. So what Jesus said himself and the words spoken by your apostles, right? So he's saying there's plenty of testimony to testify to the truth you already know, which is sincere and without fault that Jesus is coming back. So he's just saying, Please remember my beloved, my children, the ones whom I care about deeply. See, Peter cared deeply for his readers, for the church that was facing persecution and, 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 and were facing these false teachers coming up in their ranks. And so he says, please, please, please remember what you already know. And see, much of what I'm called to do as a pastor is to remind you of what you've already read in the scriptures, or as we reveal the truth of God and we read it together, to then remind you, see, this is the word of God, right? This is the word of God. God's word is always relevant and always true and always applicable to our everyday lives. And so Peter says, just remember what you've already heard from the Old Testament prophets and from Jesus himself and from the apostles, Peter saying, like himself. But he says then this, so we move on from that, remembering, okay, this is how Peter is setting it up, remembering the words of God. Before we move on, one last thing. As a way of reminder to all of us, remember the heresy that I mentioned early on in our study that Peter was speaking out against, this heresy of Gnosticism? And that word Gnosticism comes from, the, uh, we get the word Gnostics or knowledge, Gnosis, knowledge. Because these false teachers were claiming that there was a special knowledge to be had about God apart from the word, apart from Jesus, apart from the Old Testament, apart from the apostles. They claimed, hey, there is something special that you need to be a real follower of God and only we can have it, right? It's like, that's what these false teachers were teaching, the Gnostics. And so there's a reason then that Peter says, remember the word that you already heard from the Old Testament and then Jesus himself and the apostles who are living among you now teaching. He goes, that is the truth. Don't listen to the false teachers at some other special revelation. In church, that happens today. There are leaders in churches who claim that they have special revelation from God which is apart from the word, because if anybody ever says that and gets up in front of an audience and says uh, that I have a special word from God for you, or if they say that to you, remember that what they are saying first and foremost is that what they are about to say is on the same par of authority as the word of God. That's what they're actually claiming. But see, so these Gnostics, these heretics were saying, there is this special gnosis, this special knowledge. So Peter, in this whole letter refuting the false teachers, is saying, you already have the sincere word, the sincere truth of God. Stay firm standing on that. You need no other revelation. 
but the word of God that he has given you. Of course, then we have the Holy Spirit within us to lead us and guide us, always bringing us back to the word, never contradicting the word of God itself. Because the Holy Spirit, being God himself, is then in fact the word as well. You see that? And so we know that the Holy Spirit will always lead us to the word. So Peter sets this up, this beginning of the last chapter here. But then he says, know this first of all, that in the last days, okay, the last days are actually now, the last days have been for 2,000 years, okay? Really, it's, it's what it is. The last days have been 2,000 years. There have been mockers, right, and scoffers. We've been singing about it earlier in the first song, right? Those who mocked Jesus and scoffed at Jesus, and it's still, we still have it today. These, all these years, the, between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus, we look forward to, it's all really called the last days. It's the last days. And we're going to see how he, he, he kind of unpacks that to help us understand that even better. But he says, first of all, remember, in the last days, mockers will come. So he's like, don't be surprised. Don't be fooled. Don't be, um, you know, taken aback or caught off guard that these teachings are coming in. And how is that? Stay true to the sincere word of God. Okay. So he says, mockers will come with their mocking following after their own lusts. So let's park there for a second before we get to the underlined passage of verse four. Following after their own lusts. You see what he's saying? This is important. These false teachers, these mockers, these scoffers, one of the reasons that they scoff at the truth of the Old and New Testament and Jesus himself, right, even about him coming back, is because they like the sinful life that they are living, and they don't want to believe themselves that Jesus would come back. Why? Because Jesus said he would come back to judge. And who wants their sins to be judged? Do you? No. And so these false teachers are basically, Peter is saying, remember, they're following after their own lust, so they, they, they're in it for themselves, their own gain. Right, they're trying to cover up their own sinful lifestyle by saying, now what he says in verse 4, hey, where is the promise of his coming? These are the words that he's like saying, this is what the teachers say, where is this Jesus? And then here's the reason they give, for ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. See, now he's kind of laying it out. So what happened was, it's really interesting, these false teachers their, their whole reasoning was, okay, Jesus said he was coming back, and, uh, you know, at this time it was written, and like, okay, 60 years, you know, Jesus didn't come, you know, 30 years, 60 years, whatever, like, he hasn't come back yet. He's not coming back. He said he was coming back, you're waiting, you keep waiting every day, you're looking up, he's not coming back. If he hasn't come back yet, he is not coming back. How much more potent is that of a lie today when it's been over 2,000 years? Right? He says, here's the reasoning they use. They say, well, ever since our forefathers went to be home with God, you know, everything just keeps going as it always has been ever since creation. So here's what they're teaching. And maybe you've heard this before from people. Basically, they're saying, well, yes, we believe in God and he created everything, but then he just kind of let it happen. Like he just created and set everything in motion and said, good luck, people. And that's their claim, right? That's their 
testimony. They say, look, they're saying they're trying to, again, deceive and say, Jesus said he was coming back. Yeah. Is he coming back yet? No. Is there any indication that anything will be different? Because ever since God created the world, everything just kind of happens the way it always has. It's actually called uniformitarianism. That's the, the, the actual word for it, that everything just happens as it always has. But here's the, the implication, church. That's why it's important. What that means is that false teaching is saying that God does not ever intervene in human history, that he does not work in our lives, that he is not alive. See, all of this bad theology feeds into other bad theology. That's why theology matters, because it's like a domino effect. One thing leads to the other, see? And so he's saying, yeah, this is their claim, that everything just kind of happens, and God doesn't do anything. He's not involved in in, uh, history at all. He's not even involved in your life. So why not just live it up and sin like there's no tomorrow? Because everything just kind of happens, and that's the way it is. See, that was their false claim. And you know what? If we're not grounded in the Word, that can kind of sound appealing, doesn't it? Why do we have to get up every day and just keep going through this suffering and just, you know, fighting temptation and not giving into the sin that feels so good? Like, what's the whole purpose? It's been over 2,000 years. Is Jesus ever going to come back? Is it going to be another 1,000 years? I mean, I'm not going to be around, so what's the use? And that was the false teaching, the way that they were trying to See, create, kind of put some wax over this break and make it look like it was good. But you cannot do that with something that is sincere. So they're doing it because of their own lusts. They don't want to be judged. And they're saying basically, God doesn't intervene in history, right? He doesn't do anything after he created, right? And so then Peter kind of lays out his case. Look what he says in verse 5. This is great. He says, For when they maintain this, meaning when they make this claim, it escapes their notice. Peter's kind of being kind. He's like, they forget these couple of things. They forget that by the word of God, again, refuting their false claim of a special knowledge, by the very word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. What is he saying? He's saying, oh, you think God doesn't intervene in history? Well, think again, because what does the word of God tell us? By the very word, again, he's saying, let's focus on the word you know. We're talking about Old Testament now, back in Genesis. He's saying God spoke the world into existence by the very word of God, right? God spoke the world into existence. He even then formed the water, separated the earth, right? Separated the dry land from water. We see it in the opening chapters of the chapter uh, of Genesis. And then he says, even when the world was destroyed by water, then he goes all the way to the flood. So he's like, let me give you three accounts right off the bat. God spoke the world into existence by his word, okay? Then he started to form the world, separating the the land and the water by his word. So God is intervening and working in history. And then a time later, God uses the same water that he did to bring life, right? He uses it to bring judgment on the world when he flooded the world with water. So Peter's saying, remember, remember, remember what you already know, that sincere truth you know is true. 
Don't let these false teachers fool you. God intervenes in history. God is alive and at work. He cares about us. He cares about his creation. He is, right, working throughout history. And then in verse 7, he continues, by his word. See it again? He's making a point. By his word. So the very spoken word of God, his revealed word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. So then he skips ahead. He goes, let me give you another one. We know that the very word of God brought the flood waters in the days of Noah as judgment. And he's saying, you know what? By God's word, judgment will come once again at the end of all things. You see, Peter is basically making these bookend, this bookend case. I mean, God is alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. He's saying, okay, here's some evidence for you. This is the way things started, the word of God. God intervened. And here's how things are going to end by the word of God. God's going to intervene. It's not going to be by water. It's going to be by fire this time. Remember, God promised through the Noahic covenant and with the rainbow that he would never again destroy the earth, meaning the world, all the people, right? He destroyed all the people at the time through water. This time it's going to be by fire. So Peter's saying, hey, let us stay true to the word of God. Remember what it says God did and prophetically what God will do okay really important so again it is by the word of god and god is not only um predicting and said what's going to happen but he is presently okay keeping everything going just as he planned by his very word so peter is making the case kind of like paul would right as a good uh, attorney he is making a case that god is at work in his creation Spoken into existence, brought judgment by the flood, the same waters. He will again do that, and he is holding it, preserving it for that judgment to come one day. Yes, God is alive and at work. And then we see, right? And then we see the last section, 8 through 10. We wrap it up with this. Now, again, he finishes his case. Don't let this one fact escape your notice, beloved. See, he used that word again. I'm going to say either beloved. He, he really cares for the people he's writing this letter to. So he says beloved. It's, it's, it's like in the letter he wants them to kind of join in and say, look, he's like gathering them like a, a mother, uh, you know, hen would join in the, the chicks, you know, like that kind of thing, you know. He, he's, he's gathering them in because he loves them so much. He wants to feed them the truth, remind them of what they already know. You know, this week... Um, uh, my dog Molly and I discovered some guests in our yard. We have um, some baby rabbits. And, um, and thank God they're okay. Molly discovered them, but they're doing okay. And so uh, one night I heard a whole bunch of squealing and commotion, and Molly discovered them, didn't know what to do. And so went out and found out, and I had no idea what happened with mother rabbits and babies. So, I, of course, I, I looked it up, did some research, had to create a little fort for them to protect them. So there's a way for the mom rabbit to get in and out, but to protect them from our big bad dog, right? And so, but it's so cute because these, these baby bunnies were just a few days old. They're completely reliant upon the mother rabbit. But now the mother rabbit only comes at nighttime to feed the baby bunnies. So they're protected in this shallow little 
hole in the ground covered with the mother uh, rabbit's own fur and grass and protected. They have no scent, so predators can't really find them. But protecting them from Molly, why do I bring that up? Because the mother rabbit cares so much about them. In fact, people believe, biologists believe, that the mother rabbit will create the, the little den, the little shallow hole for the babies right out in the open, right in the middle of your yard. Maybe you experience this. Because they figure, first of all, the babies have no scent, and second of all, predators really aren't going to be out in the open, right? And so it's pretty ingenious the way that they do that. And so the mother rabbit cares so much, right? And only comes back at night so that the mother rabbit doesn't draw attention to the baby rabbit, see? And so, in a way, Peter is saying to his readers, beloved, like you, you are my children, like my babies, and I care for you so much, I want to feed you and nourish you and protect you, all right? Protect you from these heretics that are bringing dangerous teachings. So he says, beloved. And we, we close with this section. He says, with the Lord. Again, he's making his case. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. Again, Remember, the scoffers are saying Jesus isn't coming back. It's been decades already at the time this was written. And we can say, yeah, it's been 2,000 years. Is he coming back? And so what does Peter say? He's like, remember what the word of God says. And I read it earlier from the Psalms. So he is even referring to one of the Psalms, Psalm 91, and other passages to say this. It's a simile, saying like. He's not saying a day is a thousand years. It's like a thousand years. So he's saying that, that with God, time is different. We live within time. God created time, right? God can work within time. God sent Jesus at a time and place in history the way that we measure time. But God is not bound by time. So Peter is saying, you know what? With God... What we might measure as like a thousand years is like a day to God. See, God doesn't have to operate on our timetable. Boy, we wish that he would, don't we? Especially when we pray, God, do this for me and please do it yesterday, right? So he's saying, you know what? What we, what we reckon as like a thousand years, it's like a day to God. Or the opposite, right? One day is like a thousand years, a thousand years like a day. What we might think should happen in one day, God's taking a thousand years. Or what we might think should take a thousand years, God can do in one day. How about like creation, right? In the six days of creation, literal days, what we think should take thousands or people say millions, God can do in a day. Or... Just the opposite. Well, we say, wow, thousands. It's been 2,000 years and Christ hasn't come back yet. Well, in a way, Peter's saying, it's been like two days to God. So what does it matter? He doesn't measure time the way that we do. And if you think about it, from the time back in Genesis 3.15, when God promised there would one day be a redeemer, that was approximately, if you're a young earth creationist, you would say about 4,000 B.C. So it took about 4,000 years for God to keep that promise of bringing the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. That's 4,000 years of how we measure time. Well, 1,000 years like a day, a day like a 1,000 years. When God called Abraham, remember that? 
was about 2000 BC. He calls Abraham and says, I will make you a father of many nations. And he says, the whole world will be blessed through you. Of course, referring ultimately to Jesus Christ, the redeemer coming through the line of Abraham. So if that was 2000 years before Christ, well, God took about 2000 years to bring Jesus onto the scene to make that promise true. Thousand years like a day, a day like a thousand years. God doesn't measure time the way we do. So Peter again is making his case and he says, please do not let this one fact escape you. God's ways are not our ways. And then we finish with this, verse nine and then into verse 10. See, the Lord is not slow about his promise, right? That's the case, he's saying this. God's timing is different. So God's not slow, God's not late, God's not tardy, as some count slowness, right? This is how we count slowness. Oh my gosh, 2,000 years, Jesus hasn't come back yet. Maybe it wasn't true. But see, God is patient, Peter says, toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So there's the only reason we real need. I mean, he, he's building these other cases and all important, but he's like, why hasn't God, Jesus come back yet? Why hasn't God told the son it's now time, that promised time for you to come back and set all these last events into motion? Why is Jesus tarrying, we might say, or waiting to come back and gather us, the church, his bride, to bring, him, to bring us back to him. Why? Because God is long-suffering and patient, and we praise him for that, because in his heart, he doesn't want anybody to perish. So church, why hasn't Jesus come back yet? Because he wants more people to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, because that's his heart, see? So yes, it's because he's outside of time the way that we recognize it. But it's also because of his heart, his heart of love. And he desires that none would perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. Of course, he knows not all will, but he is long-suffering. And you know what, if you're like me, I mean, we think about this often. We, we look at what happens in our world whether it's right down the street or in our cities we live in or it's halfway around the world and we say, God, really, you're gonna allow this to happen? How much worse does it have to get? How much more depravity? How much more sin? How much more just the debased wanton, um, you know, just wanton disregard for life on every level? God, you're gonna allow this? It has been this way for thousands of years. But somehow, in some way, God is suffering. God is long-suffering and patient because he wants more and more people to come to him. So what does that mean for us? Even more reason, church, that we share with others the good news of the gospel, that we tell others about Jesus. It's pretty simple, you know. I mean, as we wait, as we wait, as we wait, what are we to do? others about Jesus and follow him. It's pretty simple in that sense because God's heart is he's keeping this whole thing going, right? Even with all the depravity and the sin and the false teaching and everything. Why? Because he wants more people to come to him. That's his desire. And that's what he wants us to do is to tell others about Jesus. And in the meantime, as we're telling others about Jesus, that we draw closer to him and we stay focused and firm on his word. And Peter made that clear. 
And it ends this section, he says, the day of the Lord will come. The day of the Lord, right, will come. That day of the Lord is the ending of that time. It's going to come like a thief, unexpected, in which the heavens will pass away. So this is even after what we would call the rapture, after what we call the time of tribulation. He says the heavens will pass away and the roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, right? At the end of all things, this earth as we know it will be burnt up and make way for the new heavens and the new earth. But he's saying the time will come when God will judge the world. He will judge. He'll judge the evildoers. He will judge the false teachers. He will come and judge sin, bringing end into all judgment. But he says, in the meantime, keep looking up, looking for him, because he's not late, right? He's always right on time. He will come at the perfect moment, right? He will come. We look forward to that. We may be here. We may be already with him, Right? And that beautiful house and mansion we were singing of earlier where he has prepared a special room for us. We look forward to that. But until then, what are we called to do? We stay, stand firm on God's word, right? We don't find ourselves weak and susceptible and vulnerable to false teachers so we're not led astray, right? And we tell others about Jesus Christ because he is the only hope this world has. Amen. Would you stand with me? I read earlier as our call to worship, I read from the book of Ephesians, that wonderful prayer of the Apostle Paul, a prayer for physical and spiritual strength. This is how he ends that section. He says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And to that we all say, amen. amen. Father God, we thank you for this time together. Please bless us as we leave. May we go being encouraged and being challenged and being secure and sincere in our faith and our trust of you and your word to us, Lord God. May we stand strong on it. And God, as we leave this place, may we be encouraged and challenged to tell others about Jesus and the only hope this world has. Father God, we do pray that you come quickly, Lord God. Bring it all to completion and fruition, Lord God. Come quickly. But yet until you do, we know that you are long-suffering and patient because you have a heart of love for your creation. We thank you for that heart. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today, church.